Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Becca Bruner. Ortberg is a, a pastor whom I've followed for some time. I've listened to his sermons, read his books, uh, just somebody that from afar kind of has mentored me, even though he doesn't know it. Uh, and for his part, he apprenticed, apprenticed himself to another pastor, a theologian and writer named Dallas Willard. And uh, in one of his books, he tells the story of calling Dallas one day for some advice. And on the phone, they're having this conversation, and John recounts to him, you know, things that are going on in his life, the the things that are happening at church, kind of the rhythms that he's keeping with his family and with his ministry. And and he he asks Dallas, he says, you know, I I just, if if you could advise him, and he says, what's the, the, the thing I have to do? What are the things I need to do in order to keep spiritually healthy? What do I need to do to be spiritually healthy? In some ways, that's the question that we've been asking through this whole series, right? We've been trying to get spiritually healthy. So what do we need to do to to get closer to God? What do we need to do to get closer to who God created me to be? That's what this whole how series has been about. And to answer that question, we've been learning about, and many of us putting into practice, a number of the spiritual disciplines. Things like reading our Bibles, praying, evangelism, and service. And today is the the last day in this series. There are many, many more spiritual disciplines out there. And if by chance this series has piqued your interest and you want to know more, I would be thrilled to take you to coffee sometime and share all the resources I can with you. Uh, But we're wrapping up today, and as I think about it, the the discipline that we're talking about today I think is a pretty foundational one, kind of fundamental for all the rest of the disciplines. I think without this particular discipline, it's hard to stick with the rest of them because this is the one that kind of gives us the fuel gives us the the drive, it gives us the time, the energy, and the motivation to do all those other things like read our Bible, pray, uh, share our faith, and serve. And today, the discipline we're going to talk about is Sabbath. Sabbath, I think, is, is probably one of the more foundational, fundamental disciplines. And if you think about it, it is the only spiritual discipline that's listed in the Ten Commandments. That's what we heard read earlier. In the Ten Commandments, the only discipline that is talked about is Sabbath, that we're never commanded to read our Bibles. We're never commanded, at least in, the, in those Ten Commandments, we're never commanded to, to pray, but we are commanded to keep the Sabbath. And interestingly enough, I learned this week, I'd never noticed this before, of all the Ten Commandments, this particular one is actually the longest, has the most number of verses of all of the other Ten Commandments. You just heard it read moments ago. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, 
but rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. So, I want to get back to John Ortberg's question. What do I need to do to be spiritually healthy? He asked. And then he reports a long pause. And finally, after sitting in just silence for a while, his mentor, Dallas Willard, answered. He said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And there was another long pause. And after a while, John got a little impatient. He said, okay, I wrote that one down. What else? What else do I need to do? And there was another long pause. And Willard replied, there is nothing else. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. So imagine with me for a moment that someone gave you that prescription with the warning that your life depends on it. Consider the possibility that your life does depend on it. Truth is, hurry is the great enemy of healthy, thriving, abundant life, spiritual and otherwise. Hurry has the power to destroy our souls. As the modern psychologist Carl Jung once wrote, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. And likewise, Corey Ten Boom, a, a woman many of you maybe have heard her name. She was uh, an author uh, writing about her own experience uh, uh, as a Christian being imprisoned in a Nazi death camp for protecting and hiding Jews during World War II. She was once noted for saying, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And that's what we all are, aren't we? We're busy. We're busy. We kind of pride ourselves on it. We all do this thing. When somebody asks, hey, hey, how are you? I haven't seen you in a while. Hey, how, how are you? What do we say? We say, oh, you know what? I'm so busy. I'm busy. I'm good. I'm busy. How are you? Oh, yeah, things are good. Busy. Yeah, we're busy. Whatever stage of life we're in, somehow we find a way to be busy, always on the go, always in a hurry. It makes us feel good. It makes us feel worthwhile. But it takes a toll. Psychologists and mental health professionals are now talking about an epidemic in the modern world called hurry sickness. Hurry sickness, they're labeling it a disease. Here's one definition of hurry sickness. A behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. Here's another one. A continuous struggle, an unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events in less and less time. So how do you know if you have hurry sickness? Well, somebody wrote a book, a book called The Time Cure, and they offer some behaviors that might serve as clues to whether or not you have this sickness. See if any of these line up for you. You move from one checkout line to another because that one looks shorter or faster. Guilty, every time, every single time. You count the cars in front of you and you either get in the lane that has the least cars or is going the fastest, also guilty. 
I sometimes in traffic pick another car that like, if I just beat that one car, I've won. Like if I'm in traffic for the next two hours, I don't care. But if I beat that Honda Civic, I win. You find yourself multitasking to the point of forgetting one or more tasks. I'm seeing a lot of nods. Some people, you know, raising your hands like we're Pentecostal up in here. Not to play like armchair psychologist on all of us, but I'm pretty sure we all have hurry sickness. And the symptoms of this sickness, well, they're, they're not particularly pleasant. When you're hurry sick, you can become hypersensitive. You know, all it takes is a, a minor comment to hurt your feelings, a grumpy email to set you off, or a little turn of events to just throw you into a, an emotional funk and ruin your day. You find yourself getting restless. And even though you're tired, you just can't stop working. You're out of touch with your feelings. You feel stuck in the tyranny of the urgent and never have time to even think about what's important. You know what's best for you, practices that are going to give you the most life, eating well, exercising, sleeping, going to church, engaging in spiritual disciplines, connecting with your family and your friends. You know all that, but you don't do it because you don't have time. Now, let me be clear. There's nothing outright wrong with just simply being busy. It's not bad to have a full life, but it's the hurry that's hurting us. Hurry isn't just a disordered schedule. Hurry is a disordered heart. Hurry kills relationships. You know this. Love doesn't have, have time. Love does take time. Love doesn't uh, allow for hurry. Hurry gets in the way of that. Hurry kills joy and gratitude and, and appreciation. People in a hurry don't have time to enjoy the goodness of a moment. Hurry kills wisdom. You know, wisdom has its own pace. It makes you wait for it. Wisdom only rises to the surface when everything around you takes a moment to calm down. Hurry hurts all that we hold dear. You know, spirituality, health, marriage, family, thoughtful work, creativity, generosity, name your value. Hurry is toxic to all that allows for human flourishing. So what do we need to do in order to be spiritually healthy, not to mention physically, emotionally, relationally, vocationally? What do we need to do to just be healthy? we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. So this is where the practice of Sabbath comes in. So that's what we're going we're gonna to talk about. We're going to get really practical about the spiritual discipline of Sabbath. And we're going to talk about what Sabbath is. We're going to talk about why we practice it and, and some just tangible, practical ideas of how we can put the practice of Sabbath into the rhythm of our lives. So first of all, what is Sabbath? Well, the word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, and it's not a particularly religious word. It literally just meant, means to cease, to stop, to quit it. The Sabbath is just simply meant to be a day to stop. Stop working, stop hurrying, stop worrying, just stop. And God's the one who started it. Scripture tells us that for six days, God worked, and on the seventh day, God stopped. God rested. And so we, as creatures made in the image of God, we're meant to do the same. We are created to work, yes, 
but we're also created to stop, to rest. But then brings in the question, why? What, what's the purpose of it? Why, why are we supposed to practice Sabbath? Why is it good for us? And I want to start, before I answer the why we should, I want to talk about why we shouldn't. None of us should practice Sabbath simply because God said so, right? We should never take any of these spiritual disciplines, which are meant for our good and for our growth, and turn them into to burdens, into legalisms. That's what those Pharisees did in that story we heard from the Gospels. They were challenging Jesus and his disciples because they took the Sabbath, which was meant to be a gift, and they turned it into a law. It said, you must observe the Sabbath, and here are all 752 rules about what that means. And over the years, Christians have kind of followed suit in that manner. We've come up with our own rules and ideas about what it means to keep the Sabbath. There's some of it good and, and some of it not so good. You know, a lot of us were around. You can remember the time when businesses and activities and everything kind of took a break on Sundays, right? That, that wasn't such a bad thing. But then it kind of got turned into this legalistic thing where, you know, I, I read this story this week of the church member who called up, literally phone called the board of elders when they drove past the pastor's house and they saw his children out front playing basketball on the Sabbath. Right? We shouldn't take the practice of Sabbath as just one more thing to do, an item on our religious checklist. That'd be the opposite of its whole intention. The Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. It's meant to be a gift. So why should we? Why should we practice Sabbath? Well, for one thing, because it's good for us. It's good for our bodies. It's good for our souls. We need to rest. And God is so gracious. God knows exactly what his children need, and he gives it to us. But there's more to it than that. God commands us to stop to rest because God knows how easily we forget who actually runs the world. See, as you look closely at God's command, you can see God knows us so well. It's like, it's like God foresaw the, the business owner reading this command and saying, well, somebody needs to work that day. If I can't, well, maybe my son will. God says, nope, not your son. So, well, then my daughter will. No, nope, not your daughter. Well, then, then maybe I'll hire an employee. They'll do it. God says, nope, not them. Well, okay, maybe the, the pagan foreigner who, who, who's here, who needs the work, you know, maybe I'll just get them to do it. And God says, no. On one day of the week, you will say no to work and yes to rest and renewal. You will slow down, sit down, and rest. But we still argue. Is that, well, what about my grades? What about the sales quota? What about all those emails piling up in my inbox? Who's going to do the laundry, the bills, the yard? And here's where it gets really real here. Who's going to write the sermon? We offer objection after objection, but God silences us all with this very personal reminder. He says, on the sixth day, in six days, the Lord made heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But on the seventh day, God rested. God's message is plain. If creation didn't crash when God rested, it won't, do, won't crash either when you and I do the same. The world's not going to fall apart if you take a minute to rest. 
I want to help me out here. We're going to have a little group participation again. If you're here in the room, if you're watching online, even if you're listening to this in a podcast later, I want you to repeat after me here for a second. There is a God, and I am not him. I want you to say it like you mean it now. There is a God, and I am not him. There is a God, and we miss out on experiencing so much of his goodness, so much of his grace, so much of his ability to work powerfully in our lives when we take on the role of running the world. That's not our job, and it was never meant to be. So we can keep working, we can keep striving, we can keep hustling and hurrying and acting as if it's all up to us. We have that option. But when we do that, we, in the end, we only see what only we can do. But when we take God as his word, at his word and we receive the gift of Sabbath, when we take a break and allow ourselves to rest, we have this incredible opportunity to see God do what only God can do. It was 10 years ago, I was pregnant with Eleanor. I know a lot of you saw her today. She's as tall as this. Uh, but it was 10 years ago. I was pregnant with her. She's at my first. And I was a little panicked. I'll be honest, because I was working as a pastor at a church in Illinois, and I was working more than full-time, so I just really didn't have a clear view of how this was all going to work, how I was going to be a pastor and a parent and a wife and a friend and all the other things. And so I called a friend who is also a pastor and and also a mom at that point to just ask her for advice, and I will never forget what she told me using the example of the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. You know that story, right? Jesus fed the 5,000 when one person, one little child, brought him a couple loaves of bread and and a little bit of fish, and Jesus fed them all. And she told me, she said, becoming a parent reminded me of what's always been true, but kind of easier to ignore before I had kids. She said, it's not our job to feed the 5,000. All we can do is take the little bit that we have and bring it to Jesus and let him do the rest. The Sabbath was made for humankind. It's meant to be a gift. A gift of rest because God knows we need it. But also this gift of this tangible opportunity to witness all the ways that God is God. And we are not. So then how do we do it? How do we practice Sabbath? Well, I'll tell you, when you make it simple, you'll never forget. And I will never forget, my dad actually preached a sermon on Sabbath probably 20-some years ago. And I remember very little from the whole sermon, but I remember the, the two things he said about how you do it. Just two words. He summed up Sabbath in, in two words. as a day to pray and a day to play. So if you forget everything else I've said today, maybe you'll, you'll remember my dad's words. His words are pretty good anyway. Sabbath, he said, it was, means taking time to pray, just time to pay close attention to God. And Sabbath means taking time to play, doing the things that renew our bodies and our souls. So I can remember that, pray and, and play. And there's different ways that you can do that. So as we close, I just want to offer a couple ideas, some suggestions for ways to practice Sabbath, uh, both on a, a daily basis and on a weekly basis. 
First is daily. Uh, there's a really great tool. Heather Norsini actually told me about this long ago, and then I was visiting with uh, Barbara and John Woodcock this week, and their daughter told me about it as well. There's a, an app. If you're a person who carries around your phone all the time, uh, as I am, there's this cool little app. It's called the One Minute Pause app. It was developed uh, following a book by John Eldr Eldridge? Eldridge, something like that. But this app, you can download it, the One Minute Pause, and it, you can set it to, uh, to, to remind you at intervals through the day. It can be once or it can be uh, three or something like that at other times during the day. But it, it reminds you, it pops up and it just tells you to stop. And again, you can set it what you want for either just one full minute, five minutes, or 10 minutes. And it leads you in this devotion, in this prayer. So as it tells you to stop, you stop what you're doing, you just focus on it, and it leads you in this beautiful prayer. It says, Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. I give everyone and everything to you, God. Isn't that a beautiful Sabbath prayer? So you can download that, that app. You can try that this week, just one minute at a time. I give everything and everyone to you. Sabbath is also meant to be practiced weekly. That's what the commandment says. It says six days God worked and one day God rested. So we follow suit, taking one day a week to intentionally pray and play. So for those of you who are here right now or people who are watching online, you can give yourselves a little pat on the back. You did step one already. You're here. Good job. And here at church, this is the place where we get to do all the things that God has given us, all these gifts and opportunities that God has given us to connect with him. We do them here. We pray. We listen to scripture. We confess our sin and find ourselves forgiven. We receive the gift of this sacrament. We, we sing our hearts out to God, or at least we get to start doing that again next week. Now, the question always comes up, do I have to go to church to experience God? Well, no, God is everywhere. God can encounter us anywhere he wants. But I gotta tell you, and, and I know you all know from experience, it's a really good place to start. So step one of Sabbath, weekly Sabbath, pray, and then keep it going through the day and play. Kick back a little bit and do the things that bring you life, take a walk. Go on a bike ride, go to the symphony or an art museum or to a good movie now that they're all open again. Make and share a special meal. Go on a romantic getaway with your spouse. Play a game with your kids. Have a good chat with a friend over a cup of coffee or a glass of wine. Keep the Sabbath by playing, by doing the, some of the things that you love. It doesn't have to be hard. It can actually be really, really fun. So, as I said, today is the last day of our How series. Next week, we jump into our Summer series, which I'm very excited about, but I'm not going to take the time to tell you about it. You're just going to have to come, keep, you know, take me at my word and come back next week to hear it. But we're done with this series, but I hope we're not done with the disciplines. I hope that you found one or two that you like and that you're finding ways to integrate them into your daily lives. Because it's an interesting thing, you, you know this, if we, you miss a, a meal or two, you, you get hungry, our bodies get hungry, right? Your stomach starts to growl, you get a little cranky, in our family we call that being hangry, right? If you miss a meal, your body gets 
hungry, but in spiritual matters, sometimes the opposite is true. I notice in myself, the more faithful I am in keeping the spiritual disciplines, the more hungry I am for them. I just can't get enough of them. But when I let myself kind of start slacking, you know, if I miss out on reading my Bible or praying a day or two, if I start skipping gathering for worship just a few times, it happens, I find myself getting less hungry for it. And then I I notice I don't grow. I feel the need less and less for that time, that connection with God, which over time leads to this kind of sort of spiritual anorexia in which I am literally spiritually starving and I don't even know it. Which is why I'm so very, very grateful that Jesus offers us this practice, this this table to which we are invited to come. A regular time in which we can come and be fed by Jesus himself. For in this act, in this practice, Jesus gives us what we cannot give ourselves. He says, come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So let's take him up on that offer as we come to this table together. And as we prepare to receive these gifts, I invite you to join me in these great foundational words of our faith that we say in the Apostles' Creed. And you'll see them on the screens in front of you. Let's join together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you know us so well and you provide for us so abundantly. We thank you for this gift of ordinary bread and juice, and we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, they may be for us your broken body and your blood poured out. May we find ourselves fed. May we find ourselves renewed. May we find ourselves filled with the very presence of Jesus as we encounter you here today. For we pray it in your name. Amen.